0: I care about you. I care about you. I care about you. I care about you. I don't want your mom's in your head, your decapitated head on Al Jazeera. That is Shaw. Sure. I don't see it that way. Where do you think he's running to? 200 friends down
1: there. We got guys in Leavenworth doing 20 for taking home trophy guns. What do you think they're going to do for fucking two
2: kids and an old fucking man? Fucking look at him, man. They fucking hate us. Look at him. That's not a kid. That's a
0: soldier. That's death. Look at death. We can't do it. Look anything at that soldier.
1: They are unarmed prisoners.
0: And the second that they run down there, we got 200 hajis on our backs. Tie them up. Tie them up. Let's get the fuck out of here. We can't just fucking leave them, let
2: them go. I thought you were standing by waiting for your fucking orders. I am standing by waiting for my fucking orders. What do you think
0: that radio's for? They're not calling Domino's Pizza. I know what the fucking radio's for.
2: That radio's fucking That's Italy, a cell bro. phone to the Taliban. So you just think it'll just be our little secret, huh?
1: That's a warrior. him.
2: Welcome to episode three of Schlock and Awe, a podcast where we unravel the cinematic universe of the global war on terror in the hope of answering the question, what's our generation's defining war movie? I'm Evan Hill.
0: And I'm Jack Crosby. We're two journalists who grew up in the post-9-11 era, and we spent most of our careers covering the effects of those attacks and the wars the U.S. began after them. Today, we're discussing Lone Survivor, director Peter Berg's sepiotoned retelling of the real-life and partially true story of Marcus Luttrell, the sole survivor of a disastrous special operations mission that resulted in the deaths of 19 American Navy SEALs in 2005. We're joined today by Seamus Malikafsoui, a freelance journalist specializing in Middle Eastern affairs and a huge film guy who likes to focus on how a country's films express its ruling ideology. Seamus agreed to come on the show with us, despite the fact that he is too young to personally remember 9-11. Seamus, thanks
1: for being here anyway. Always a pleasure.
2: Before we get into it with Seamus, uh, let's give a little quick context on Lone Survivor. Uh, this is a movie that comes out at a time when um, American directors in American cinema seems to be kind of reconsidering or approaching the global war on terror uh, for the first time with sort of real consideration. This is around the time Zero Dark Thirty comes out. It's around the time American Sniper comes out, both of which we covered in our two previous episodes. Uh, This is famously a Mark Wahlberg vehicle. Mark Wahlberg plays the Navy SEAL medic, Marcus Luttrell, but he's joined by Friday Night Lights' Taylor Kitsch, uh, who plays Navy SEAL Michael Murphy, as well as Emile Hirsch and Ben Foster as uh, two other Navy SEALs rounding out their team of four, and Eric Bana as a lieutenant commander Navy SEAL who's kind of in charge of their operation. Um, This is sort of a... Decently sized uh, budget of $40 million, uh, but the real story here is that um, this is one of our GWAT blockbusters. Uh, it makes $125 million domestically, $154 million, give or take, worldwide. That is about the take of Zero Dark Thirty. doesn't quite reach the heights of American Snipers, $547 million, but we are dealing here with um, one of the Global War on Terror's big blockbuster movies. This is directed by Peter Berg of Battleship Fame or Infamy, depending on your perspective. Also the director of Hancock, Patriot's Day, Deepwater Horizon, and Friday Night Lights, the American football epic. Peter Berg writes this along with Marcus Luttrell, the Mark Wahlberg character uh, who wrote the book of the same name on which this movie is based. Just a quick little plot summary here before we jump in. Lone Survivor concerns uh, the mission of the four-man Navy SEAL team in Afghanistan called Operation Red Wings, uh, which was meant to surveil and possibly capture a militia commander named Ahmad Shah, who was loosely aligned with the Taliban. Needless to say, that mission goes horribly awry uh, in ways that we will discuss and leaves Mark Wahlberg as the eponymous Lone Survivor. But the 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 feeling of this movie, I think, we'll get into, into it. Is that this is basically a sports movie? This is a movie about endurance, and that's no accident because this is directed, as we said, by Peter Berg, uh, who helmed, um, I think, Jack's favorite all-time film uh, ever made, uh, Friday Night Lights. No,
0: no I got it. I didn't be clear. Friday Night Lights, the film, is fine. All right, the show is a way mm-hmm. of life. Um, it's incredible. It's got uh, actors that are now enormous international stars in it. It launches Michael B. Jordan's career after The Wire. Um, But the heart and soul of the show is Taylor Kitsch, uh, a relatively unknown Canadian actor um, who sort of bursts onto the scene as Tim Riggins, this long-haired bad boy of the football team who is an immediate heartthrob for literally everyone watching the show and extremely clearly for Peter Berg as well because he then puts Tim Riggins in everything after it uh, for a brief period of time until he becomes obsessed with Mark Wahlberg. And why Lone Survivor was so fascinating to me when I was putting together this sort of like chronology in my head is this is the switch from Peter Berg's, you know, like Tim Riggins' era to his mm-hmm. his Marky Mark era,
2: um, Seamus, you you brought up something before we started recording about. Um, I mean, Peter Berg is kind of like you could say that he he occupies an important position in the pantheon of sort of post nine eleven American jingoism, Americana, um, love of America, love of patriotism, and like deep respect for the troops um and this is a film that opens with documentary footage of navy seal training that you can go on youtube and, and you can look at the same documentary footage and then it transitions into the into the fictionalized story of of these four navy seals but M- peter berg has like the deepest respect for the navy seals and for the american military and i don't even know if it's like a respect for operator culture jack which you and i you know have talked a lot about on this show and we'll talk about in this episode it's like these guys are like athletes and they're they're like iron man runners and he respects their ability to like sack up and endure um all this terrible shit like literally getting shot multiple times in very realistic detail i have to say so i just want to ask like what is it what is to both of you guys maybe Seamus first but like What is inside Peter Berg's head?
1: I mean, from the interviews that I've seen of Berg and from what I can um, gather from the films that he's made is that Peter Berg has an immense amount of respect, not just for military soldiers who do the work. Um, That's something that's shared with a lot of different directors, including Michael Bay. But what differentiates him is that he also has the same kind of respect, maybe not the same intensity, but the same level of respect for military leadership Mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that they have to make hard decisions Mm -hmm. uh, that you and I sitting at home, um, you know, don't have to handle. Uh, It's a really deep allegiance with, american military power alliances um culture structure that i don't think any director at least working in the mainstream as he does uh shares um it's it's really it's it's maybe a bit hard to pick up on just like from his films themselves but once you see enough of them the common elements uh start appearing and then they're very difficult to ignore
0: yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily, I I, I don't disagree with anything Seamus just said, but to me, the, the, the through line isn't, it's not as clear of like military operator hagiography as, as some other directors do. Like, I, I definitely almost felt like Catherine Bigelow is more enamored mm-hmm. with the troops, mm-hmm than than berg is to a certain extent and i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna i think what berg is into what i get is is he's he's the brotherhood guy Mm -hmm. he is obsessed Mm -hmm. with the notion of these manly men Mm -hmm. in situations where they must endure and survive and push forward and and this is and, and so i'm coming from this i haven't seen Berg's entire filmography I've skipped around and stuff here but I am again I'm the Friday Night Lights guy Mm -hmm. and the the running theme of all those shows the spoilers for the original movie of Friday Night Lights is Friday Night Lights they don't win the championship game it's like one of the first like big inspirational sports movie framing things where they get literally to their like goal line rush to the one yard line to get the go ahead score and they don't make it. Oh, interesting. And it's like and it's like these these boys that have like risked so much and 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 sacrificed so much in pursuit of this unattainable goal and endured so much and then they don't make it. Mm. And how and what that says about them but like they're actually the rear heroes all along. And that that theme I feel like transplants so well to this movie. Because they fuck it all up and literally right. everyone dies. Yeah. Right. But what Berg is, what Berg is like lionizing is the fact that these guys went there and they left it all on the field. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you were saying. Yeah. You were saying that we that we uh, uh, uh before we started recording i mean, the, the the theme of this movie is like it's about endurance like that's why it starts with the navy seal mm-hmm. like training thing watching them you know they get really wet and cold a lot mm-hmm. um and it's bad and they're they you know they shiver and they almost drown them and that's like how you make a navy seal or whatever and the first scene of the movie is uh taylor kitsch and Emil hirsch i think doing a shirtless race mm-hmm. around bagram air air base uh in the like twilight hours of a dusty sunset uh, in, through countryside which coincidentally looks exactly like west texas uh-huh. and you're just like what am i what am i watching like are they going to show and up then, like at the, and then the at the cop or are they going to show up like at football and practice? The, and, then, like, and then the explosions it, you know? in the
2: sky music comes in and you yes
0: yeah yeah it's it's explosions in the sky it's you know you're you're on a long road trip through west texas and or afghanistan with your boys that you're just trying to do brotherhood with and you're sacrificing so much for some, like sort of intangible ideal of of, I, I think you said it right, It's Like of Americana, yeah. like that, and I, I almost think that that Peter Berg is obsessed with what America represents mm-hmm. more than he's obsessed with what America does. I think I, I think. think the
1: connective tissue between our two focuses is that Michael Bay is a very cynical man. Um, from any movie you see mm-hmm. he, he's kind of obsessed with that as a as a form of humor but peter berg is very earnest mm-hmm. and an yes. earnestness in the belief in um america's mission that couples with an earnest belief in friendship and and uh, interpersonal relationships and he really i think does well with that uh especially
2: here when the mo- when the movie opens You've got um, this narration, which I actually thought I was trying to figure out if it was Wahlberg, or if it was actually um, Latrell, um, the real guy, because the voice was kind of hard for me to distinguish. I'm not sure if it's Latrell or not. We know that Latrell was involved in re- writing the screenplay, and also he has an uncredited guest appearance. He's one of the seals sitting around like their picnic table when they're all like and He's wearing um he's wearing shades. Um, is he wearing kind of, shades? I did notice him. He, he's kind of a he's a beefier guy. Yeah, yeah. He's the he's the beefier guy. So he, there's this narration that's Latrell, whether it's Wahlberg or Latrell, I'm not sure. And it's he's going like we we you know he's talking about this drive to push ourselves into the cold dark corners where the bad things live and get into the loudest darkest most unpleasant of the fights. And I took notes while I was watching, it and I was like, is this war or is this Iron Man training? Because like this is the same like pump up rhetoric that you can see someone giving themselves if they're going to kill Osama bin Laden, or if they're like getting ready for like a hundred mile race. Um, and Berg seems to like love this intensity, but this, this focus could be interesting. Like if it were another director who's interested in like what drives people to do insane things and what happens when, you know, brotherhood and manhood is like put under stress. Um, but in Berg's hands, we get something very different, which is a a lot of fiction, which we can get into later. But a lot of this movie um, is completely fake. Um, it's the same problem with American Sniper, and here it's just as bad. Um, in several different like parts of the film, from like the number of Taliban they engaged to the ending firefight, um, so there's the the falsity of it. But also the, I think as you said, um, Seamus or pointed to, the context is like entirely stripped. Um, and so we don't really know like why we're here, why America's in Afghanistan, um, who we're fighting, except that just to take us into the get the plot of this movie rolling, there's a really evil guy who's like terrorizing a village named Ahmed Shah. And the seals love to be really nice guys who love their women uh and jog uh and have to listen to presentations on the laws of war um so that they don't do any bad stuff and I was once again you Jack and I talked about this with American sniper I to me it was unavoidable that like what we're seeing again is like cowboys and Indians, like a village of peaceful natives who are being terrorized by a guy who like literally has like eyeliner. To make him look bad and and like the cowboys are gonna come in and and they're gonna rescue the villagers
0: and the islander looks really nice like he, he, he's a good-looking dude the actor that get good to play dude. you know he just has like very intense like dark set eyes which is like you know the mark of the terrorist in in this genre of american film
2: so these seals are are on the base they do like their emile hirsch and taylor kitsch do their like uh, jog that Jack was talking their shirtless jog they're both like fucking ripped um, and then um, and then it goes immediately into like what their mission is going to be and their mission is to um, surveil insert onto a mountaintop over a small village um, in eastern Afghanistan surveil this evil guy named Ahmad Shah uh, and then um, maybe capture him like later on the cavalry cavalry will come um, and they're going to capture him um, and there's Hints that um, this mission is like complicated and potentially foobar from the beginning, Um, but they go in anyway. They insert in real life, um, they get inserted and their fast ropes get caught on some foliage, and they have to cut them off um, and drop the fast ropes onto the mountaintop, which is a big no no um, for special operators because it leaves a trace of their presence. Um, But here's where we encounter kind of like the first um the 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 end of act one the beginning of act two the big the, the the big moment that sets this plot off which is that um they're surveilling the village and they encounter uh afghan um herders um these shepherds up in the mountains um and they're presented with the dilemma of what to do with these unarmed shepherds who are carrying a radio um the gall and they get into guys the... just walking right. around
1: their own land
2: Right, like normal, normal dude. It's like an old man, uh, a teen, and like a like a like a small kid. Um, and the movie sets this up as a huge dilemma because this is going to the, be the reason why their mission um, goes upside down is because uh, they've run into some shepherds in real life and in like the official accounting of this mission. Um, this is highly debated, and it's likelier that. Um, not only did Ahmed Shah's militia hear the helicopters inserting the seals, but that they went looking for them without any tip-off um from the shepherds. But they take these they zip tie them and then they get into a debate over whether they should execute them. And Emil Hirsch, Ben, and Ben Foster are like torqued up to kill these unarmed Afghans. They like they like really want to kill these guys, and they're like Nobody's business what we do up here. This is the fucking Navy. You make the call. Uh, ben Foster's like, this guy killed 20 Marines last week. 20 more are going to die next week. Um, why do like, these men in D.C. have the right to dictate how we do our job? This is false. Ahmed Shah's men did not kill 20 Marines in real life before this happened. But these movies, these global war on terror movies that we watch, are desperate to like create false stakes so that you question whether these marines like maybe they should commit a war crime um (laughs) when in reality like it's like no you don't kill unarmed shepherds like ever right you know
0: it's 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 interesting in that like in real life ahmed shah was just very like small time anti-coalition militia like he was you know i guess linked with the taliban but he also like he fought against the Taliban and Al Qaeda in two thousand one. Like he he's just he was just one of these sort of like local warlords, just like kind of going with the flow. He had his group of like you know reports uh, very much vary as to how many guys. But yeah, he's he's presented as bogeyman, which allows them to set up the actual moral dilemma of like, do we ice these kids so that no one knows we're here? Uh, or not, and, and the movie pictures this as a very like sort of like binary choice. It's like you know they can do the right thing and not kill the kids and maybe get discovered, or they can kill the kids and go on with the movie. Uh, as you were saying, Evan, the real life accounts kind of differ. Um, one of the local Afghan uh, villagers who who plays a a role later on in the plot. Um, what he in real life said is that the Taliban, uh, literally heard the helicopter came in and then just tracked the seals footprints right. and showed up as they were like right. debating what they should do with the goat herders. And then they were just like, well, we're just right. going to watch how this plays out. And then they let the goat herders go and then the <laughs> Taliban ambushed them. So it's like not, it didn't happen yeah. like that in, in the, in the movie. Um, they let the goat herders go. Uh, And then they like try and hike up the hill and then later as they're like trying to get some rest, you know, they hear the Taliban coming because it's that, you know, there's one, the teen in the goat herders group is like looking at the seals all angry you know maybe because they've just like smacked him in the face with a rifle and like thrown him on the ground and they're like Uh that's not a child like that's that's a soldier look at him like look at how he's looking at us like that's a soldier that's not a child it's like like a teenager whose ass it's such an obvious like like on (laughs) on
1: paper you it, it can portray a whole totally different thing but as a director you know, the old man and the child look like they're kind of looking around like they don't know what to do. You as a viewer can maybe extrapolate like, oh, maybe like this is more ambiguous than it, than it might seem. But then it cuts to the the teenager looking angrier than any person in human history. Like just a very stern face like, oh, <laughs> this guy is a, is a, is a killer. <laughs> like if you let this guy go, he's going to fuck this whole thing up. There's no possible ambiguity that you could derive from that unless you're like, like a fool the director is assuming the am i
0: misremembering that? this in, right. the,
1: in that they also
0: like they also kind of gave the teen eyeliner as well it's like definitely they gave, him, they yeah. gave yeah. him hot evil guy makeup yeah.
2: yeah um and then and then he like when when they let them go and he gives them the like fuck you look um like he's like he should be grateful that the invaders uh didn't kill him um, he then he then bounds he does down, parkour the, mountain down, in a down the mountain doing like yeah. parkour. He does like park parkour moves <laughs> down the rock. He, he can't
1: wait to betray these innocent yeah. Americans.
2: Peterberg is like, no. I, I, Peterberg's like, I just want to make sure you idiots realize that like the kid is evil. He's a warrior. Like no doubt about it. He's doing parkour. Okay, down and the before
0: rocks. we move on from this scene though, like this is my time. You got it. You gotta you gotta set me up for this. They do the Leavenworth line. There's always a Leavenworth line.
2: So yeah. So they, during this, uh, during this debate over whether to kill the kids, by the way, Mark Wahlberg is Marcus Latrell slash Mark Wahlberg is supposed to be the good guy in this debate, but the arguments that he's giving to his fellow seals aren't like, no, that's evil or like morally wrong. It's like a, um, the media is going to find <laughs> out, uh, and, no, it's... <laughs> and, and yeah, well, I, I should say
1: it reminded me of, um. There's a, there was a film that they made, uh, I want to say it was Stanley Tucci, a couple of decades ago, called The Final Solution, I think, <laughs> where the whole thing is where Nazis are debating, like, the, the Holocaust, and the only opposition is like, oh, they're going to find out. <laughs> right. Like, like, it's not... It's not a a dichotomy. They say the point of that film is that that dichotomy is meaningless. But here in Lone Survivor, it's presented as like an actual real life moral dilemma that they need to debate.
0: Then we get the Leavenworth line in this, which is that Mark Wahlberg, Marcus Luttrell, says as a justification for not killing the kids, he says, we've got guys in Leavenworth, the military prison where, you know, uh, military war criminals go, except that they don't. Um, Mark Warburg says we've got guys in Leavenworth doing 20 for taking home trophy guns and I was like huh that's a really specific thing to mention as not a big deal so I did a little googling it turns out I am 99% sure that the specific case that Mark Wahlberg is mentioning in the script of this movie written by Peter Berg and Marcus Luttrell is referencing the case of Navy SEAL operator Nicholas Bickle, who is in SEAL Team 5. And Nicholas Bickle was put on trial for smuggling somewhere between 80 and 100 automatic weapons from Iraq in the bottom of a footlocker with a false case and then selling them to criminals in Las Vegas (laughs) (laughs) and running more than than, than 3,000 rounds of ammunition as well as these fully automatic AKs that he was smuggling out of of Iraq, and claiming, then when he got caught, claiming that they were trophy guns. This is the case that this movie is referring to. And how do I know that? Because it gets fucking better. Because Nicholas Bickle... (laughs) before he was convicted for gun running from Iraq, was a consultant on Transformers Revenge Return of the Fallen, or whatever, as a military consultant on Return of the Fallen, and fucking, and, he was one of the guys that Peter Berg embedded with during the researching process for Lone Survivor. And how do we know that? Because Peter Berg testified at Nicholas Bickle's trial <laughs> that Nicholas Bickle presented him with an AK-47 he had brought oh back from Iraq as a present.
2: Oh my God. So there's God. a <laughs> in this movie. <laughs>
1: There is no. So I'm. There no. Hold on. Hold on. I just. There is no <laughs> depth to how much Peter Berg like fucking sucks as a human being. Oh my god. This. That's is incredible. A I
2: never. I never knew I, that story. I, oh, I did. No. I did some googling
0: of this. I. I just googled. I googled like um, Navy Seal Leavenworth uh, trophy guns or something, and I got a few articles and I read, and then I found this the San Diego Union Tribune article that had a pretty detailed. Uh, rundown of the actual case and I'm reading through it and I'm like okay this is funny like the line that they're using in there is referencing this case where the guy was like literally just a gun runner like you bring home a trophy gun like whatever you find like some cool like Iraqi like pistol and you smuggle at home like you know whatever people have been doing that you smuggle 80 to 100 fully automatic AKs and then resell them on the street like that's not a trophy anyway I'm reading through this article And I get to a two-paragraph, one-two punch that just literally made me lose my mind. And it goes, Besides his military service, Bickle worked as a consultant and extra on the film Transformers Dark of the Moon. Paragraph break. In another movie connection, director Peter Berg testified during the trial that Bickle gave him an AK-47 rifle in 2009 as a trophy from the Iraqi battlefield berg met and became friends with bickle while embedded with the seal unit to conduct research for his upcoming movie so he was so so bickle was on trial as lone survivor was being like filmed and like (laughs) produced Uh, conduct research for his upcoming movie lone survivor which is based on the book by former seal marcus blah blah blah
1: blah Um, i cannot tell you how much this ruins my experience of transformers dark of the moon it's one of my my uh yeah i mean
0: i i think i I would actually we should go back maybe on twitter we'll go back and we'll find the scene that uh that nicholas bickle is an extra in so we can just we can post his uh his his acting credit uh from transformers dark of the moon unfortunately weird he wasn't available to be an extra in uh in lone survivor i guess because uh he was uh, he was actually in jail um but they got him into the (laughs) film They got him into the film in spirit uh, by including that line where Malk Warburg says it's a travesty that they got guys in Leavenworth doing 20. He was sentenced to 19 and a half years in prison uh, again because he was not taking home trophy guns. He was uh, smuggling over 100 automatic firearms into the country and thousands of rounds of ammunition.
2: Which also like 20 years or 19 years or however much it ends up being is like significantly more time than guys got who murdered uh, people in Afghanistan and Iraq, some of whom have been since pardoned by former President Trump. But, like, one of the running themes of this podcast is that in these movies, someone is always going to say the Leavenworth line. Someone is always going to say that, like, they are operating (laughs) at great risk of prosecution when, in fact, um, almost no American soldier has served... Um, more than like five years in prison um, for killing people on the battlefield, except in the most egregious and obvious cases um, that have involved the murder of civilians and, and the rape of, of civilians. But this movie wants you to believe that guys are doing 20 in Leavenworth for trophy guns. Um, not that they're Peter Berg's uh, little bestie who's gun running uh, to criminals in America. Um so they they let these uh, they let these shepherds go after this debate over um, you know the um, the PR aspect of, of murdering civilians um, and <clears throat> it's implied in the movie that um, that the 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 release of the shepherds allows uh, Ahmad Shah's militia to come find the seals um, and this sets off essentially the rest the entire rest of the movie which doesn't have much content other than the extreme endurance test of this four-man SEAL team being pursued across and down this mountain by Ahmad Shah's militia. And this is where we can start getting into um, the way Peter Berg Berg directs these action scenes, the quality of these action scenes, the realism or non-realism of these action scenes. Um, I think that we all agree that um, despite his, his evident faults, <clears throat> on the other stuff peterberg is actually pretty talented at setting up the action and, and directing the action um but the way this begins is um with mike murphy um played by taylor kitch spotting a line of of taliban on the crest of this mountain that looks like what you would see in like a, a movie about like the british occupation of uh zulu territory with like it's like a, a
0: shot from lawrence of arabia
2: yeah, it's like it's a like Lawrence, the, or, you know. It's extremely
0: good on top
1: of a dune. It's extremely good yeah. at establishing scale in a very almost understated way. Um, mm-hmm. no, it's, it's 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 a it's a well done shot. It's just a shame that it's complete bullshit from like here on out like right from there. Right.
2: So, so, so Marcus Luttrell in his in his uh, after action report that he filed after this was all over said that they were ambushed by twenty to thirty tal or twenty to thirty fighters. In his book, Lone Survivor, that number suddenly becomes 200, um, which isn't supported by any of the documents. But the interesting thing about this this movie and this incident, Operation Red Wings, um, as you pointed out before we started uh, the episode, Seamus, is that there's actually a video shot by the militia. The militia that ambushed the Navy SEALs filmed their ambush on a, ham- a handheld camcorder. So we actually have video of the operation, which shows, you know, perhaps like a dozen um, fighters. So, even, what, even which less really than hap- that. Maybe seven, even. Yeah. So what's happening here is that this sort of like ragtag militia band of fighters who are loosely allied with the Taliban, even though Ahmad Shah had previously fought the Taliban, go up into the mountains and conduct essentially a very successful um, ambush of America's most elite fighters.
1: Yeah. I, I, I mean... There is the whole um, basis of the action scene which makes up the the brunt of this movie, the majority of this movie, is that the Taliban fighters under Ahmad Shah um, essentially throw themselves at this Navy SEAL team in a uh, sub-Soviet-style human wave attack where the victory is achieved through sheer numbers that Mark Wahlberg and uh, Taylor Kitchen crew just simply can't fight against as they're bleeding out and they're doing all these things, but they get a lot of them. Um, There there are
0: multiple lines in this
1: movie where they're like,
0: like, we're going to make it brother. We're going to kill them all. And like, it it turns out that uh, they did not in fact kill them all. And in reality, it's very possible that they killed none of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's disputed as to whether or not Shah's militia took even a single casualty in the course of this raid.
1: Yeah. And so much of the movie is, of course, made up of uh, very well staged shots of uh, Taliban fighters getting uh, murked with uh, sniper fire and explosions and, you know, whatever. Um, all of which, yeah, probably, probably did not happen. Um, it, I think, speaks to. A sort of general failure among films about the war on terror but specifically uh peter berg's uh sort of specific hang-ups where to envision the enemy as like human in really any sense other than the literal uh is impossible for him um to do so to imply that they are strategically minded that they have training that they might overcome Uh, the Americans through something other than just like sheer dumb luck. Um, That's outside the scope of his imagination uh, almost entirely. Um, It's a kind of a similar thing that happens in his other films. Uh, uh, Mile 22 uh, especially uh, comes to mind. Uh, Just sheer numbers overwhelm the uh, special ops force that Mark Wahlberg runs. Um, he has to be protected, uh, from, from, uh, like, like some armed group that wants the secrets, uh, whole team basically gets wiped out, uh, except for Aiko Awais, and then Aiko Awais, spoiler alert, betrays them. He was smarter than everyone the whole time, uh, because he's Aiko Awais, um, and that's it. It's a horrible movie. Um, but, but it's a, it's a general sort of, sort of trend. They're, they're faceless enemies who, they're only relevance is that they stand in the way of u.s soldiers just doing their damn jobs uh that that's basically their only purpose really
0: he he even does this in friday night lights to a certain extent i haven't seen the original film of friday night lights in its entirety in a long time but i did watch about five minutes of it over the guy in front of me's shoulder on a plane uh, the other day and specifically (laughs) specifically one of the scenes that i saw that is springing to mind immediately here is that a lot of times the teams that the 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 protagonist team in friday night lights plays are like kind of these like faceless like cheating like dirty they're always like they've got size on them they're roughing our boys up out there you know etc like in and in the scene that i saw Um, they're presented as like these just like outright villains. Um, There's a a scene where one of the players gets like pretty severely injured. I think it's the the star who like blows out his knee or something like that. And as they're doing like the shaky cam shots of like the paramedics running onto the field or whatever, it goes to a shot of like the two like defensive linebackers who hit the guy and destroyed his knee. And they're like taking a knee on the field as everyone does when a football player gets injured. And then they do a little, they do a little hand slap. And Peter Berg like makes sure he gets that as if like these two big thuggish like players like wanted to injure our brave boy who's now down, like wounded in action. Um and yeah, and you're you're right, Shavis, like he does he does this, like he doesn't he's not a big nuance
1: guy. No, I if I may, I'd like to to go from the not a real big nuance guy to um something that Peter Berg said, which I think illustrates his worldview. Uh, really succinctly um when he was doing the press tour for battleship he was interviewed by an israeli uh news channel uh during the junket uh and if you can guess uh, it went really badly let's see let's go um i had to i had to transcribe it um uh full disclosure i did edit out some of the journalist responses because they were mostly just him saying yes or saying someone's name um this is what he said. Somehow he got on this topic. Uh, what the fuck is going to happen in Israel? What's the nickname for Benjamin? What do you guys call him? BB? You got BB and who's the secretary of defense? The defense minister? You have two men that are now dictating policy toward Iran. It's a real mess because you've got to decide whether it's better to allow Iran to be armed and whether a nuclear Iran is less of a threat than an attacked Iran. If you attack Iran now, they're going to fight you back, Right. There's going to be blood. Israelis will die, right? No question. Would you rather take that now or let them get a nuclear bomb? It's the most serious issue facing our planet today. More so than the movie Battleship, which I'm very excited to have directed. And I love Rihanna. She's a great actress and did a wonderful job in the film. And my dad was a Navy historian. And have you been in the Israeli army? No? What? How'd you get out of that? Are you a draft dodger? How old are you? You've got to join the army, motherfucker. How'd you get out of it? What's your name? Jason Holt. That doesn't sound Jewish. <laughs> that, and that Wait, that, Seamus, is this, yeah. Seamus, is this real? This is real. This is a real thing. You can look it up right now on YouTube. This is, the interviewer looks extremely mad the entire time. Okay,
2: so you guys have seen the, the like, the now like famous Twitter clip of Peter Berg in the editing <laughs> room with his editor. Where he's, where he's yelling at him to do to do like the the burst cut or whatever. Cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it. Cut it. Um, is he just is he just weird or or does he do a lot of like uh, a lot of cocaine? I
1: like what I is- mean. I, can,
2: I I mean I don't want to
1: speculate because I think that's a that's a libel li- lawsuit waiting to happen. Um, but every interview I've heard of him, um, either here uh, or there or on Mark Maron. He's a, he's an extremely strange, uh, very self-serious in, I don't know. It's a, like, he's so clearly bullshitting a ton uh-huh. of the time when he's telling stories. Um, and it, like, he tries to like put on like kind of a self-serious air when he talks about the work he does on his films, but that grubby interior comes out very often um he's just awful to listen to uh really unpleasant um in in everything that he that he writes that he vocalizes um there was a big controversy in i want to say when caitlin jenner came out as transgender um hmm. in which he shared a facebook post um which trans which had um the veteran who was in battleship uh if you rem- uh-huh. if you remember him um, and then the caption was, One man traded two legs for the freedom of another to trade two balls for two boobs. Guess which man <laughs> made the cover of Vanity Fair, was praised for his courage by President Obama, and is to be honored with the Arthur Ashe Courage Award by ESPN. And then Peter Berg oh. just shared it with the caption, Yup. Um,
2: oh, boy.
1: Yeah. Uh, the, oh, yeah. He's, he's a, like, even even in the really, like, like subtle ways in his films he still has to insert weird social conservatism like um in in mile 22 the poll line they have for mark Wahlberg to say um which i'm not even sure it's in the film itself it was um do you want to live in the world where everybody feels cozy and validated all the time or do you want to live in a world that works (laughs) And it's about Mm -hmm. him just being like a sniper and a special ops it means nothing (laughs) but he has to like put it in
2: well i mean this is like yeah i don't want to like comment on who peterberg is too much just my like i don't i don't want to i don't want to be sued for libel and i haven't watched i haven't gone as deep into the peterberg canon as you Seamus. you're kind of our peterberg whisperer for the show which is great that it that interview is insane but like he doesn't want to take anything from this story beyond um, the endurance and and personal heroism of the four seals. I mean, the movie ends. <clears throat> we don't have to talk about the ending quite yet, but like, it loops around to the beginning with the narration of like, we like to go to the darkest, coldest places and fight the darkest, coldest fights. And it loops it loops around to that, and it's Mark Wahlberg again, um, surviving and saying like, "You're never out of the fight." And I like the movie ended. It well, and then and then there's the thing about Passion Wally, which we definitely have to talk about. But I'm gonna <laughs> say that. It's one of the dumbest
0: fucking things.
2: I'm gonna say I'm gonna pocket that briefly because <laughs> I want us to work up to that. <laughs> um, because it's it's like so funny. Um, but it's like the only lesson that the per that Berg wants us to draw from this movie is like, um. These guys are like supreme athletes who uh, endure things that we would never endure. But then the question is like, for what? Um, and he doesn't care about that at all. And and the other interesting thing is that like the Afghan Peter would be making like lone survivor about Ahmad Shah. And it would, and it would be just as interesting because I want to know about like the guys who are fighting the invaders, you know, like, what's their life like they seem like they're pretty interesting like also very talented warriors who are far less equipped than the american there, military there's an incredible scene in this where one of
0: the grievously injured uh injured seals um i forget which one it is i, I don't know if it's if it's axe or the the other guy um who's kind of presented as like the wussy of the group or whatever he's like he's like all fucked up maybe he's the one that got shot in the head i don't know they, they've been just doing my favorite part of the film which i need to speak about uh because it's just horrific which is them like falling down a mountain for over an extended period of time for like 15 minutes of action it's like they shoot for a little bit and then there's just a very long sequence of them falling down the mountain but then eventually one of one of the seals says he goes to his guys and he's like they're so fast are they faster than us they're so fast how are they doing this so fast or whatever and it's the classic thing of like american soldiers getting to afghanistan and being like how the fuck are these like old like goat herders in like long tunics like dancing around the mountains and it's like well because they've lived here their entire lives and they're not carrying 150 pounds of like weaponry and body armor but like it's great that you can fall down a hill with all of your football pads on
1: like yeah so and and also it's crucial that he says that uh when he's under the extreme delirium of being, uh, you know, shot, um, because that opinion could never come yeah. out of someone who was of sound mind and body, because he's an operator. You
0: have to, you have to incur at least half a dozen traumatic brain injuries in the span of twenty minutes to believe that uh, the Afghans are superior to U.S. Navy SEALs.
1: Yeah. And what we've found over the over the past few years is that you know they're still winning today. Yeah. <laughs> This is really, I think, one of the only places where I think Michael Bay is more interesting as a filmmaker, in that he is actually interested in how villains justify their motivations and where they they draw their their inspirations from. Um, in Thirteen Hours, he's uh, like skeptical of how the Libyan civil war intervention worked out and you know, where their uh, motivation is coming from as rebels, as where they are now. Um, in the Transformers films, even, he's interested in why why the CIA and ICE and all these governmental organizations, why they turn their own backs and, and why they do the things that they do now. Um, it, it's it's very bad that Peter Berg is outclassed in this sense. By,
2: by I mean, Michael ambulance... May. Yeah, yeah, ambulance. Even an ambulance. The Cassidy Kis- oh, yeah. is a
0: veteran who's been abandoned by his government and then has to like go Jake Gyllenhaal mode with his like with, with his Gyllenhaal. brother and rob yeah. stuff.
2: we don't see the Taliban side of thing except that like the they like the Taliban like Star Trek red shirts or who are just there to like get popped by the brave Navy SEALs keep dying, even though there's no proof in any of like the after action reports that the Navy SEALs actually killed anybody. We see like probably one to two dozen Taliban fighters get shot by these like heavily burdened warriors. Um meanwhile like they are being wo- the Navy Seals are being wounded. Not in like gruesomely graphic detail but in very what felt to me like kind of like there was a there was a a, a feeling of realism there like these bullets are zipping into them. They're not dying immediately. Th- they're probably bleeding out slowly but they're still fighting. Um and they're trying to get comms with headquarters so that they can call for what all American troops in every war zone have called for, which is maximum air support that can totally eliminate and intimidate the enemy. Um, And this is where we get the moment that we, Jack was referencing at the top of the show, which is Mike Murphy's Jesus Christ moment where he sacrifices himself to climb to the mountaintop um, and get in touch with HQ. Um, According to sort of, some of the reporting on this, he did leave cover to get in touch with headquarters. He did make contact with headquarters. Uh, he was shot. He did not die um, in the sort of Christ-like fashion huh. um, that Jack uh, recounted. So HQ becomes alerted that the SEALs are in trouble. Eric Banna uh, gets motivated um, to go find them. A- and they send in... Um, two Chinooks, um, and in the movie, um, the Chinooks are supposed to have Apache cover, which is normal, I think, for these kind of operations. And in the movie, yeah. they don't get Apache cover because like, the Apaches have been called away to like help some army guys who are implied to kind of like be of less importance who've gotten in contact with the enemy, and so the Apaches can't make it. Apparently, what really happened um, is that the Chinooks, who are being piloted by the knights, the famous night stalkers, um, either outflew the Apaches or refused to wait um, for the Apaches to come. Huh. And and the Apaches were trying to tell them not to go into the LZ without cover, which is kind of unheard of. In um, and but they do. And uh, a Taliban fighter, uh, you know, one of these guys who, in American eyes, like you know, this guy can't be better than us. Steps out with an RPG-7 and fucking bullseyes a Chinook right through the back uh, ramp. uh, And it blows up and it falls and um, kills all 16 people on board. And that really did happen.
1: Yeah, I Um, I remember seeing... If there's one thing that I do remember taking away from the film when I saw it for the first time, is that I was shocked that that actually happened in the film. It was a really surprising moment. Because I didn't know the story of Operation Red Wings before I saw the film. And in retrospect, it's even more shocking because... It's the one moment we have where the Taliban fighters are shown to actually be strategic and are shown to be well-trained. And it completely comes out of nowhere, and we never see anything like that again for the rest of the film, for sure. Yeah,
0: I mean, you know, Tim Riggins' last goal line push to get comms to, to bring in the helicopters that then immediately get blown up is is an incredible... Uh, film sequence and just the way that it's shot. Um, if you haven't seen the film, it's almost worth it just to to watch that. Um, just incredible. I mean, it's Easter Sunday, you know. Like you should you should treat yourself to that. I think. Um, but I, I want to talk about um the the Afghan villager and you know and Pashtunwali Wali, as you were saying, uh, Evan, and and what actually happened to this man, Muhammad Gulab Khan, um who who saved Marcus Luttrell's life but like unequivocally saved his life in a in a in a way that was less dramatic than it's presented in the movie but no sort of less significant to his actual survival um yeah I mean it's 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 shocking how much Gulab's account of the situation differs from Luttrell's which I think establishes again a theme that we're seeing a lot of these movies, which is that Navy SEALs uh, cannot be relied upon to tell the truth about anything at any point in time ever. (laughs) Um, Yeah.
2: Um, Right. So, so the, the SEALs are getting shot up. The rescue isn't coming because the Chinook goes down and explodes and the other one flies away. Um, And Murphy is killed trying to get comms. Um, Ben Foster uh, is killed emil hirsch uh is shot up and killed um by the way some of these guys do appear on the the home video that the the militia shot which uh you can find online although most of them are non-graphic the, gra- the graphic parts have been removed but the taliban are uh <clears throat> they come upon the bodies and and um they find them but uh mark Wahlberg. Marcus Luttrell survives. He claims in his narrative that he's blown off of a ridge um, by either a grenade or an RPG, which lands him like beneath a rock that sort of obscures him from Taliban view. And he wakes up there and then crawls seven miles um, until he reaches um, some friendly villagers. I haven't done enough research into this to understand exactly why these particular villagers um, were willing to shelter uh, the Navy SEAL, but they appear to have been in conflict um, with the local Taliban, with the local militia. And this is another area where this movie really obscures the complexities. I mean, no shock, right? But it obscures the complexities um, of the actual situation on the ground. Um, Wahlberg is sheltered by um, this Afghan family. Um, I read that the costume director for the movie wanted them to like look different to us. The viewers from the tal the Taliban are dressed in like dark threatening clothes in the village oh, yeah,
0: Gulab <laughs> has like a really nice, like pretty like greenish scarf. It's with like, like multiple colors or something like that. Yeah, It's, it's like, like, it's like, it's, like a, it's not like a, the yeah. dirty blood red scarf that right. That Shah is wearing. Yeah. It's like the
2: tech Joseph and the, and the technicolor dream coat, the coat of many colors. Um, and um, Wahlberg is having this, like, there's, like, this comedic little session in the, in the house where Wahlberg wants a knife to, like, peel the shrapnel out of his leg. Um, and the kid thinks that he wants to, like, slaughter a duck or a chicken. And it's like, haha, like, <laughs> yeah. these these stupid Afghans, like, they can't even get, like, the basics of, like, what this... Navy seal once
0: there's also the insanity of the hand grenade shit before that like uh latrell doesn't have any like guns on him by the time he's he's found um but he still has a hand grenade in his vest and so when these villagers come up to him he like grabs the hand grenade and he does that and then gulab and them like take him into their house and then the other guys come into the house obviously to be like who's this american that you just dragged in what's going on here they're all all talking and Uh, Mark Wahlberg just loses his fucking mind because I mean you know he's obviously terrified and he doesn't speak the language or whatever but he's just in the house holding the grenade and just screaming there's an extended sequence of him screaming at these villagers who are just like relatively calmly just being like all right what do we do with this guy like what do we do well mark Wahlberg is holding a grenade and being like i'll fucking kill you all i'll kill you all i'm gonna kill every single fucking one of you i'll kill you all and i have written in my notes and i'm like it's probably like pretty accurate to what having mark Wahlberg over for dinner is like. <laughs> like, <laughs> you just invite him into his house and like mark Wahlberg has like this absolutely insane like sleeping schedule and regimen where he like he goes to bed at like 5 p.m every day because he wakes up at like 3 a.m to like work out for four hours or something like that so i'm sure if you like that's exactly what would happen if you like woke mark Wahlberg up from his slumber at like 5:30 and was like dinner time mark like you know come down for dinner honey he like has a hand grenade next to his bed and would just start screaming like that <laughs> um but yeah it was just it, it is surreal how how quickly the movie sort of drops off from these like very well paced and plotted and intense visceral action scenes to as soon as the original the all the three seals except for Wahlberg are dead and it, the movie proceeds sort of into its third act and it just it like just becomes a farce
1: basically now, this is what Peter Berg that's his problem generally with all of his movies um, I think about uh, Patriots a Day I don't know if, if either of you have seen that. Um, no. Everything around... That's
0: the Boston Marathon one, right? Yeah,
1: it is. Uh, I think like Alex Wolff, of uh, Nickelodeon fame, plays Um, Joker Sarnayev. <laughs> um uh But the, the whole film itself is pretty boring, and it drops off really hard uh, in the third act. But the, the Watertown shootout scene uh, itself is very well staged, very well paced, in very drastic... Um, mm uh like like it's very drastically different from the rest of the film and how like good it is um Mm -hmm. it's worse in that film because of how short it is and it's less noticeable in lone survivor because the shootout between the taliban and the seals is so much of it and so you can you know get more of it out of it Mm
0: -hmm. as far as the realism of the shootout goes it's um it's it's well it's good and it's bad it starts off really good and then they they kind of fall he gets into the michael bay of it all where there's like multiple rpgs that are exploding next to these guys like literally like one foot away from these guys heads and they're not immediately just like leaking their brains
1: out of their ears one um, of you, one of you posted but, a photo in the chat of uh the like the the moment when they all jump out of it. It's kind of hard to convey uh, yeah, visually, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's like a comic book splash page of these people. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah,
0: yeah. So there's like it 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 kind of oscillates wildly between like just absurd, unrealistic moments and like this very very gritty, tense sort of combat. It's it's got my favorite my favorite operator trend, which is that um no no american soldier ever fires their gun on fully automatic in the duration of the movie which i think which i'm always like awesome that's great cuz it's like cuz yeah that they're like they're seals they're all shooting specific one designate yeah like i'm i'm giving this movie great operator score um down to the fact that they all appear to have tbis before the movie starts and they definitely all have them after the movie ends um but yeah. Yeah. The the action sequences are really, I mean, I think, I think it's a, I think it's a good movie overall. It's like the, the, the long, slow build up to where, you know, that things are going to go bad for these people, but kind of wondering when it is, is, is really well done.
1: No, it's a remarkably yeah. effective piece of propaganda, I would say, because yeah. you almost forget by the end of it, like, especially uh, when the, uh, the explosions in the sky music pops up when um, uh, the Christ, like the death of Christ thing is happening, you yeah. are watching it and like are like this is really, like it's calculating uh, the entrance of the score really well, the shot composition, like you, you feel emotionally um, um, affected by it and it makes you f- almost forget that only a couple minutes ago they were just, these people these same people were discussing whether or not to massacre a family and, and right. commit a <laughs> war crime <laughs> like right. it's really, it's really Effectively made, I would say.
2: So, so he's 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 sheltered by um, Gulab, um, and in the movie, something totally t- two two totally fictional things happen to <clears throat> to bring this movie to a close. The first thing that happens that doesn't happen in real life is that Ahmed Shah comes to the village, um, takes um, Mark Wahlberg out uh, of the house, and basically is about to. Uh, behead him um when the villagers are in like a very like uh action movie cliche like step up with ak-47s uh and prevent Amjad from doing it um never happened what actually happened is that the taliban came to the village actually were allowed to enter the room where marcus luttrell was being held apparently beat him up a little bit and then the village elders told them to essentially get lost and get the fuck out, which is a very interesting window onto sort of actual Afghan culture, which is a complicated dynamic of very like numerous loyalties and power balances that would allow the Taliban to come into this village, but also be forced to leave by the villagers whose intent is to return the Navy seal to, um, to the Americans. Um, in the movie, This then leads to, like, an Old West shootout between Ahmed Shah's militia um, and the villagers and a, like, climactic, like, wrestling battle between Muhammad Ghulab and Ahmed Shah himself, um, which is, like, hilariously inaccurate, cartoonish, never happened. Do they kill Ahmed Shah
0: in this movie? they Does kill, him? Ahmed, kill? They, ahmed Shah really right.
2: yeah i i, didn't so even I, I wasn't that.
0: i wasn't sure i wasn't sure if i think that i thought that the guy that they kill the that we were talking about the the eyeliner guy the really pretty eyeliner guy i thought that that was like ahmed shah's like, like lieutenant that was ahmed oh, shah you himself be right. okay. i no, think you might it's be right. his lieutenant it's because his i lieutenant, i couldn't yeah. i couldn't figure this out either and i was thinking about that and i like that would have been incredible if they kill ahmed shah in the movie which which I also expected them sort of to do a little postscript as to what happened to Ahmed Shah, because this right. is just like really fascinating about the movie is it, it basically after the first 20 minutes of the movie, it completely scraps what the entire original military objective of it was. And it just doesn't, acknowledge right. that that even was a thing anymore because what actually happens to ahmed shah is he dies three years later because um he he dies because he fucks up a traffic stop with pakistani uh military officials in pakistan <laughs> like he gets shot he gets literally shot by the cops at a traffic stop in a, in a firefight like uh uh-huh. in in 2008 like he gets off completely scot-free he's fine he leaves this he he goes i think he later on like he gets he gets pushed out of you know out of uh that part of of the um of the valley and and goes over the border to pakistan um but like nothing happens to him Uh, So it's very funny that the movie like has this dramatic like thing right either he or his lieutenant dies
2: right the, the right the the lieutenant to ahmed thank you for the correction uh wrestles with Mohammed gulab and Mohammed gulab uh like shoots him through the chest i think and, and kills him and like yeah the ultimate act of of heroism and then finally the the cavalry arrives like literally um after like the fighting is basically ending um takes mark Wahlberg um out of the house um mark Wahlberg, <laughs> like tries to bring Muhammad gulab along and is like is like refused like he's not like he really wants to bring his afghan friend with him with his little child but like the navy seals are like no sir you can't do that um which is crazy because in real life i think they did take gulab
1: yeah yeah no i'm pretty sure and there was a whole thing they they extracted both of them at the same time they there was this whole thing where i think on 60 minutes uh, Gulab said after the fact that he was just told to say yes to everything that Marcus Luttrell said about the story. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it it it's it's the lies that are told in this movie, the falsifications of of everything. They're not as egregious as um, Chris Kyle's, uh, because Chris Kyle claimed that he was like an insane serial killer psychopath and was proud right. of it. Um, but there's just so many, there's so many at, like, every single turn, and it's, it's, it's crazy trying to, like, every, like, no detail is left, um, like, untouched here. Right. It's crazy.
2: Right. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even know that, I didn't see it in my reading that Golab actually went with them and was told to say yes to everything Lactrel said. Um, another small detail of this is that, um... Golab was quoted as saying that when he found Marcus Luttrell, Luttrell had all 11 clips of ammunition on his body. There's some dispute over... Like, like, we don't know if those clips are empty or not. Like, for all we know, maybe Marcus Luttrell shot a lot of bullets but didn't want to leave his clips behind because, like, that would allow Ma- the mag- to Magazines,
0: Evan. Magazines. Sorry, you're, magazines. No, you're offending the entire U.S. operator community. Yeah, sorry, uh, magazines. You're, you're dishonoring Marcus Luttrell's memory by saying that he didn't fire a single bullet out of any of his clips when, in reality, he didn't fire a single bullet out of any of his magazines.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so... So there's like a there's like a a 50 50 chance that like Marcus Luttrell maybe never fired his weapon or at least never needed to use any additional magazines. Anyway, just mentioning that. Um, So then the movie, the movie concludes with Luttrell on like the operating table where he like medically dies, like his heart stops um, did that part happen or No that's how the movie did,
1: that's how the movie opens. Yeah no no but that happened Well in it real opens life, there. I,
2: I want to say it opens there and is it that also it opens bullshit. there and it, No apparently that did not happen like he <laughs> did not he did not like die on the operating table. No,
0: he was like apparently, yeah, uh, allegedly, he was like fine when they picked him. He up. Was <laughs> like, yeah, he, he was, was fine. Like he was messed up because he like fell down the hill, but he was like he was like generally like chilling. Like I think he, I think he like broke his back and he had some like fractures from you yeah know, doing his had, cliff tumble. But like right.
2: In yeah, general, he he'd, bad... be hang, he'd
0: been hanging out at Gulabs for like two days. Like you know, he'd been hanging
2: out at Gulabs for like a week. What I yeah. want to say like. Like, like he was not bleeding out. Um, But in the movie, he's like on death's door. The, the, like he flatlines, they shock him. Oh no, bro. I, I
1: totally died on the table for like, like 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and
2: then, and then, and then it ends with this voiceover of him being like, you're never, ever out of the fight. And then, and then we get to the actual ending to the movie, which is like, what happened? Like, like photos of all the guys who died and, like, what happened? And then this, like, title, this, like, card on the screen that's, like, explaining why Muhammad Gulab saved Marcus Luttrell, which, yeah, I guess, you know, some Americans might be asking that question. I'm sure Peter Berg thought he had to insert it because, like, why would, like, the savage Afghans save the the heroic um, American saviors? But the card says... It's important says, to be
0: clear uh, who the good brown guys are and who the bad brown guys are. I right, like that's exactly. something that American audiences. you got you gotta you gotta be clear on who the good ones are.
2: Right. So at the at the very end of the film, after it's basically like all over, the the card this card comes up on the screen to explain to all of you Americans uh, who who think that um, or to make it clear like who the good Afghan brown people are and who the bad brown people are. The Afghan villagers who protected Marcus did so out of a duty to their two thousand year old code of honor known as Pashtunwali. Pashtunwali requires a tribe to undertake the responsibility of safeguarding an individual against his enemies and protecting him at all costs. These brave men and women still thrive today in the harsh mountains of Afghanistan, and their fight against the Taliban continues, dot, dot, dot.
1: I've noticed that in a lot of his films he has like these weird postscripts that... I think cause more questions than uh, like give answers. Um, Patriots Day is a similar story, um, and in uh, the Deepwater Horizon movie that he made, um, he reduces the largest oil spill in American history to I think two sentences in the entire <laughs> movie, and it's like he immediately fades out into a sunset over country music, like as soon as he possibly can. <laughs> he he knows that like he needs to give this kind of context for the viewer but he's also completely uninterested in like really involving himself into it it feels like an editing decision more than anything else
2: the taliban are also uh pashtun and um uh yes there are like villagers in afghanistan there are there are many afghans who fought the taliban um Taliban is also a, an indigenous uh, Afghan uh, movement, and um, they ended up winning. Uh, that might be a more interesting um, end credit card for uh, Peter Berg's film. But this movie ends, and I'm like, the I guess the lesson here is, like, what? Brotherhood? Manhood? Endurance? Your ability to endure when you're with your bros? Like, what at the end of this movie what are we supposed to take away from Wahlberg, like being shocked back to life
0: i i thought that too when when uh Seamus was saying it's an incredibly effective piece of propaganda which yes i agree but what is it propaganda for like this movie does not make me want to be a navy seal right like no. zero dark 30 the end of it kinda you're kind of like damn like those guys are cool look at them they killed bin laden this one is like Damn, right. those guys just fell off a cliff for twenty minutes
1: and they got shot. Like, <laughs> right. I, I don't, don't want to do that. <laughs> like, no, I think that, that seems bad. At risk of sounding more like a pseudo intellectual than I do at the moment, I think it's it's propagandizing like uh, like a certain set of moral values in a really, I guess, kind of like backgrounded way. Like, I didn't even pick up at the time about like how a lot of this is about endurance. Uh, I was thinking more of the foreground about like Americana in general. Like I think a lot about like um, films that were, I know this is a very severe comparison, but it's the one that comes readily to mind. Like the films that were made uh, during third Reich that were like pure entertainment films that were not uh, overt propaganda. Like they're not explicitly detailing any of the messages that they want you to, to, uh, in part they don't spell it out like that but you see from the sacrifices that the characters make that uh, what gender roles they inhabit um, and you impart from that maybe not directly like I should join this military I should join whatever but you see uh, a kind of like strong moral code in what they're doing even when the actual moral code that they're implementing is completely heinous and and um, just just awful, and has led to like a ton of evil. Um, it makes you forget all of those negative aspects, and it, it foregrounds uh, those positive, quote unquote, positive aspects that are more subtle. Yeah, I think that's essentially
0: that's essentially right. You're you're meant to just what it is. I think yeah, it's it's sort of a very simple story of like valor, and it's like valor for valor's that that, that valor in and itself gives a legitimacy to the greater picture of what those people were doing. Yeah, and which valor I think is, the is such American. a such a
1: general concept that it can be applied to you know goddamn anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But if you show that like the guys doing that were being really valorous and heroic, it like it essentially makes you think and that's this is the whole American conceit of the entire global war on terror that like if we see enough narratives of personal heroism and endurance, it makes us think that the project that those that those acts were committed in service of is also valorous, you know, like because these guys were being dudes so hard and they loved their brothers so much it means that anything any situation that guys that love each other that much would be doing is a good thing um
2: well it's like in all almost all of these um GWAP movies mm -hmm. almost have to strip things down out of their context because the context is typically either a war that we should never have fought you know an illegal war or a war that we lost or were in the process of losing. Um, But rather than go the Vietnam route, which explored, you know, a lot of the Vietnam, the best Vietnam uh, films kind of explored the darkness um, at the heart of um, a lot of what we were doing there. Um, The American GWAT films, almost none of them like to go there. I mean, I think that the best of them, tried to approach it hurt locker you know tries to approach it you could say i mean we we tried to get into this into our zero dark 30 episode it tries to approach it um although it ultimately ends up being sort of pro cia propaganda but most of these films um are sort of sadly uninterested um in getting down into the meaninglessness or the darkness of um, a lot of the things that we did there
0: I think we're 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 approaching the point in in this show where we got to rate the film. We got to rate um, the film.
2: Seamus, yeah. uh, do you know about challenge coins? I,
1: I I like the like the concept of them. Uh huh. Yes, yeah. I know the police have so, them.
0: So, <laughs> so 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 on Schlock and awe, we have we have a we have a special end of episode uh, ritual, which is that we we rank every movie uh, on a scale of one to five challenge coins um in three different categories right it's what it's it's realism jingoism and operator score right right those are mm-hmm. three yeah. those are three categories i mean Do Evan, you are you first, are Jack? you ready I yeah, can go first. Um, yeah you you go first evan you go first
2: realism i'm gonna give this a like chipped and broken single um operator coin because it's not the it's not like Probably the absolute worst it could be. It does show three of four Navy SEALs being killed. It does show a Chinook helicopter being brought down with an RPG. Um, it does show Marcus Luttrell being sheltered and rescued by an Afghan civilian. Um, but everything else uh, from the size of the ambushing force, the fact that they were not exactly Taliban but militia, the totally made up battle at the end of the movie. Marcus Luttrell's fake injuries, uh, the near beheading. Um, this is this is a uh, a modern fable of warfare. So I would say it gets a single chipped uh, challenge coin. Um, jingoism is an interesting question for this movie because, as I said earlier, I'm not sure it's jingoistic. I think it's like Americanistic, uh, but that that in itself can be awfully jingoistic sometimes, and it certainly, you know, makes the camaraderie of war um look appealing as long as you're not like um log rolling down a cliff for 15 minutes uh with your with your boys. Um if you're with your boys in Bagram doing fun races and having breakfast it kind of looks fun. Um and and uh-huh. sitting in the pine trees watching bad guys through your telescopic scope. Um so I'm going to say that this is like this is two maybe maybe 3 challenge coins uh out of 5 for like making the operators look like sort of christ-like and and heroic um and then the operator score i mean i think i i think for zero dark 30 i gave it five out of five and i'm gonna give this four out of five because berg is fully torqued for the operators but he's not fully torqued for them for like the super nerdy operator reasons that zero dark 30 is he's torqued with them for the same reason he's torqued for, uh, like like football players is that like, he loves, he loves the brotherhood and that brotherhood could be in the military or it could be elsewhere. So four out of five challenge coins. What's
0: on your challenge coin, Evan?
2: The, my challenge coin is etched with the image of the, uh, silly little Afghan boy who thinks that when Mark Wahlberg needs a knife, he wants him to sacrifice a chicken.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, realism, yeah, I think you're right. This gets this gets a one. Uh, mine is not chipped. It gets a, it gets a single challenge coin out of five for realism, um, because all of the Americans that actually died in real life do actually die in this movie. Right. They managed to not retcon lone survivor into two survivor, <laughs> um, which I think they were very tempted to do. Uh-huh. Like Mike Murphy, Tim Riggins almost rose again in yeah. this movie. Like if, if, if Peter Berg could have resurrected Tim Riggins in this movie, uh, he would have. Uh, but he he just couldn't he didn't you know he didn't have the guts to go through with it. Um and that was great for Mark Wahlberg's career because it meant steady paychecks and uh, it meant that Taylor Kitch uh, had to go beyond season two of True Detective, which kind of sucked. Um so one one realism coin out of five. Um for jingoism, yeah, you're right. Um I would say that this movie gets a Five out of five operator coins for jingoism, particularly for the state of Texas, and guys who want to buy horses for their wives. <laughs> oh yeah, we didn't even um, talk about because that. it is we did not talk about the horse. But there's a whole subplot where I forget which one of it it is. Either uh, either Tim Riggins is buying a horse for his wife, and Mark Wahlberg is 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 consulting with him on it, or the other way around. Um, Arabian horse, like one twenty the, there, There's some sort of horse buying. Um, And one of them is very confused about the concept of an Arabian horse. uh, And the other one uh, is uh, very, like, sure of what the concept of an Arabian horse is and that they're expensive. Um, So I think that gives this movie a very high jingoism score specifically for Texas. I think for America, its jingoism score is, I'm going to give it... I'm going to give it... I'm going to give it, no, I'm going to give it a three. I'm going to give it a three jingoism score as well, because it does involve the line where one of the seals at one point, I think says, you're welcome to die for your country. I'm going to live for mine. (laughs) Uh, And then, and then that seal does promptly die. (laughs) Um, So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, so i think it gets it gets it gets a good it gets a good jingoism score for america just for that line but it is it is more obsessed and jingoist to, toward the concept of texas uh even though texas i don't think is mentioned i don't think any of the seals are from texas te- it
2: loves fucking texas
0: but it does love texas we just know that it lo- at its heart peterburg loves texas um and then operator score. Uh, you're right i think this gets i'm agreeing with you a lot here but i think this gets a four operator operators out of five um i would give it a five out of five i think that all of the actual sort of military uh moving when they're scrubbing around in the bush Mm -hmm. before the firefight starts is like pretty good um not that i you know know exactly what it looks like when navy seals like walk around like a big like pine forest um but i i I appreciate those quiet moments of it not being super you know jar heady michael bay as far as that goes right it loses it loses a challenge coin because i really don't think they fell down the cliff that much uh and i think if anyone had actually fallen down that many cliffs that much they would just be dead They would be dead yeah um yeah, but it, it gets yeah it gets a high operator score for that um, for the boys leaving it all on the field uh, for them having lots of like blood coming from their faces in dramatic ways um, but still being able to get up and uh, yeah so four out of five and um, on my challenge coin um, is oh man I'm torn here I think I think my challenge coin uh is is a is a shirtless bust of Tim Riggin's running in the beginning of the movie um and 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 winning winning the race for Peter Berg's heart uh that's on my Texas challenge coin uh for my for my for my for my for my other challenge I I got I had to rank you know the Texas course, score course. and the other that's my Texas challenge coin is Tim Riggin's running shirtless um for my actual Lone Survivor challenge coin, it's uh, Mark Wahlberg holding a hand grenade and screaming. <laughs> um,
1: and I think I think I think that's that's the best representation that's of the movie. That's good. Okay, um, I think in terms of realism, I'm gonna go higher than the other two guys in this call. I'm gonna say two coins out of five. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Okay. You know, undeniably. Okay. um you know histrionically even false uh full of lies and, and falsifications and, and and mistruths um but undeniably i think the realism dedicated at the very least to the mechanics of combat uh uh-huh. the injuries uh how bleeding out affects their mental function how like they even got the makeup to like have a skull fragment flake off of um one of the seals, I I think Ben Foster, um the one that he plays, oh, yeah
0: when he gets like shot in the yeah. head, yeah um
1: like like the blood matting to his beard, it looks really gnarly. Um that's the thing that I really appreciate about this film. Uh rewatched it the second time around, like how much work was put into that. Um so I'll I'll give it two out of five for that. Um in terms of jingoism, uh it gets up there, but I'm gonna say three out of five simply because. If it wanted to get to a four, it would need to talk more about the motivations to be in Afghanistan and to really, like, be in the Uh business of of promoting it as a really moral thing, whereas this kind of puts it in the background. Um, And at five, it'd be all about just, like, you're going to murder everybody in Afghanistan, that kind of thing. Um, And it doesn't really get to that. Um, So three, I'd say there. Uh, And the operator score... I would say also four out of five because a five out of five, I'm thinking like, uh, like a range 15 type deal would have to happen in which the four Navy SEALs not only kill all the Taliban and suffer no losses, they also, I guess, kill Mullah Omar too. <laughs> That's what it would have to be. <laughs> um, but on the challenge coin itself, I'm going to say, if I'm envisioning the challenge coin correctly, I'm going to say so you know a nice engraving of the Mm -hmm. seals uh jumping off the cliff and they're all perfect Mm -hmm. gorgeous yeah
2: (laughs) just leaping off the page at you
1: yeah yeah
0: all right well that's uh that's lone survivor we we survived it